0: life in America stood still. That day goes down as probably one of the worst, if not the worst days in the history of America. It was on that morning in Hawaii around 8 a.m. that the Japanese fleet made a surprise attack on Pearl Harbor, decimating the United States Pacific fleet. The bullets were being fired. The bombs were were exploding, but the hardest part for my mind to grasp that day is the some 1,500 men who were trapped inside of those battleships, and it sunk to the bottom of the ocean. Days later, Germany and Italy declared war on our, on our nation, and America found herself in a global war. You know, it's interesting, as we think about World War II, the 1930s and 1940s, we understand it's probably one of the darkest days of the world and our nation. But I find it interesting that in the darkest of days, that is when God's truth shines the brightest. And it was in 1940 when God raised up a servant to write a song that would go on to not just impact the people of our nation, but all over the globe. R.E. Winsett wrote a song that maybe you've heard of. It's a Southern Gospel Standard, and it was rewarded the Song of the Year in 1969 in the first ever GMA Awards. His words go like this. Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedom we all hold dear now is at stake. Humbling your heart to God saves from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians awake. The chorus says these words, Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will meet their doom, trumpets will sound. All the dead shall rise, righteousness meet in the skies. Going where no one dies, heavenward bound. Today, as we come to Hebrews chapter 10, I'm sure you're aware that this chapter is and along with Romans 13 is probably the hot debated chapters in, in the world in 2020. But we understand that in Romans 13 and in Peter, where it talks about submitting to the ordinance of man, that whenever man's laws contradict God's laws, that's when we go with God's laws. And here in this passage, a lot have debated about what does it mean to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But I submit to you today that the theme of these verses, the focus of these verses is not about the gathering together of God's people. It's a minor focus here in the text. The major issue here is in verse 25, the last words, it says, as you see the day approaching. The title of my sermon today is this, Jesus is coming soon. Whether you believe it, whether you don't like it, or whether you believe it and you like it, we have the assured expectational promise that Jesus is coming soon. And today we see that the emphasis here, that the writer of Hebrews is making, the first ten chapters, he just unleashed and unpacked a whole lot of Bible doctrine, and now he's getting to the nitty-gritty of the application of our lives. And we see that here in this scene, verse number 19, 20, and 21 is all about a summarization of what he's just recapped about how Jesus is superior than everything in the world, about how Jesus is the greatest of all time and about how he is the high priest, and about how he is the mediator between God and man, and how he is our intercessor, and now we have direct access, and we can go to God's presence with great boldness because of what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. As we think about all that and about Jesus coming, I want to share with you five thoughts today from this passage that, that I believe are biblical commands that God has given to us in light of his soon coming. Now, before we dive in here, understand this, that that ever since Jesus ascended up into glory, we know we've been living in the last days. John speaks about this in his gospel. Matthew speaks about this in his gospel in John 14. And then in 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 Matthew 24. We read about this in in 1 and 2 Thessalonians. We read about this in Peter. We read about this in Jude. We read about this in the book of Revelation. We read about this all throughout Scripture and even to the Old Testament. So we know that the Bible reveals that Jesus is coming again and he will plant his foot on the Mount of Olives as he said in Matthew 24. And in light of his coming, We need to understand there's five specific commands God gives us here in this text, and I want to walk you through them. Look at verse number 22. Verse 22, the first command here, that in light of Christ's return, draw near to God. If I could summarize verse 22 with those words, it would be that draw near to God. So in light of Christ's return, let us draw near to God. The word near here in our passage, it's a unique word that the writer of Hebrews is using and it gives this idea of visiting somebody in their own home. And I'll tell you, one thing I'm going to miss this year is taking my guitar and getting in our church van and going to the shut-ins in nursing homes or hospitals or in homes and sharing with them the good tidings of joy about the first advent of Jesus Christ. I'm going to miss that. And as we would go into somebody's home, that's the same idea here. We would be near to them and we'd draw near and get close with each other. This word near in this passage, in this verse, is speaking about the urgency and the importance of we as believers drawing close to Jesus Christ. We read, In, in Exodus chapter three, when, when Moses was there, he began to draw near to the burning, to the burning bush where, where God's presence was. We read that in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah said that, that these people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And we read in the gospels, especially Mark, Mark seven, when Jesus quotes Isaiah and he says, these people are drawing near to God with their lips, but their hearts. He says, their lifestyles are far from me. We read in James chapter four, where James, the apostle says, draw near to God or draw nigh to God and God will draw nigh to you. My question for you today is this, are you allowing 2020 to make your, make your relationship with Christ closer? Are you trying to draw closer to God through this year? Are you pushing yourself away from God? I want to share with you a few thoughts. One of the ways we can draw near to God as we think about verse 22 is is Bible meditation. I'm talking about opening up God's word for ourselves, not just here on Sundays, although it's important, not just hearing a pastor expound God's word, although that is important, but taking God's word, opening up for ourselves every day, every week, every month, every single year as a Christian and allowing the Holy Spirit of God to speak his words into our hearts. How's that Bible reading going on this year? Or maybe you can't read. How's that Bible listening going on? Listening to somebody else read God's word. We can draw near to God through opening up the scriptures, reading it, studying it, meditating in it, memorizing it. But then we can also draw near to God through prayer or supplication. That is, taking whatever burden we have, taking whatever need we have, and laying it before the feet of Jesus. Remember back in Hebrews chapter 4, We see one of the roles of Christ as a high priest and as a prophet and a king is to allow us to have access to his presence. And in Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible says we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We can come boldly to God's presence now and bring whatever it is we have need of and lay it at his feet. I submit to you today that and sure, you can bring your needs to an old-fashioned altar. You can bring your needs to a pastor or a teacher or, or, a, or a Bible study leader or, or whatever. Or a deacon or, or a trustee or whatever. But the greatest person you can take your need to is God himself through prayer. Another way we can draw near to God, and I think this is overlooked, is confession. And no, I'm not speaking about going into a booth and confessing to a person. I'm talking about lifting up your heart lifting up your voice to a holy, righteous, just God and saying, God, I acknowledge that you are Lord. God, I acknowledge that you are sovereign. God, I acknowledge that you are Savior. God, I acknowledge that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, the wonderful counselor, the, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the everlasting Father. And God, I have sinned against you and God, please forgive me. I'm glad when I was 16 years old that I met Jesus at at a a church camp. And there, in that moment, I realized that I was a sinner. I needed Jesus. And there, Jesus changed my life forever. And I was born again. And it's only through the work of what Christ has done on the cross that we can have that promise. In fact, John says this, if. He says if. Remember? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have you acknowledged your sins before Christ? Have you asked him to forgive you? That's how you draw near to God. Look at verse 23. As we move forward in this passage, it speaks about in verse 22 about drawing near. So in light of Christ's return, let us draw near to God. But secondly, I want to show you from verse 23, in light of Christ's return, do not waver in your faith toward God. Do not waver in your faith toward God. Look at verse 23. It says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering you know, the theme of Hebrews is Jesus Christ is better or superior than everything else in the Old Testament. That's the theme, the major theme. But a sub-theme is the believer's responsibility to persevere throughout their walk in life as a Christian. Here, we see that that the writer of Hebrews was addressing a Jewish audience, and these were Jewish believers, and they were being tempted, tried, and tested to go back underneath the law system of the Old Testament and there run away from the grace and mercy of Christ and the cross. And he was saying, do not waver in going back into those areas today. Listen, we are enamored with another kind of temptation, another kind of trial, another kind of, 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 of testing, and that is going back to our own ways when we were once lost but I submit to you today that that we need to persevere and keep on fighting the good fight of faith as Paul said in a in an age like this if you can persevere through 2020 I believe I'm just crazy enough to believe you can persevere through any year I believe it with all my heart and so if we can get through this year then yes by God's grace we'll get through next year in Hebrews chapter 3, we read earlier that, that there was a theme when, when God was through the penment of, of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, and he was stressing perseverance in their life and endurance and pressing onward. And then in Hebrews chapter 6, that great debatable chapter, and really the sum of the matter is this, God is calling us to move forward in our faith, not backward. In other words, persevering. And here we see again in verse 23, let us hold fast. That means anchored and settled. I'm so happy. I am so thankful. I am so blessed that my anchor is not anything else in this world, but my anchor is the Lord Jesus Christ. And because he is my anchor, and because he is guiding my ship, if you will, it can go through and weather any storm life brings. But hey, listen, if Jesus is not your anchor, the storms of life will beat you down. The storms of life will knock you down and the storms of life will keep you down. But give thanks to God because he is our anchor of our souls. We can rise up from the ashes of the trials of this life and keep pressing onward. In Matthew 24, in the context of Jesus speaking about the signs of his, his soon coming return, he speaks about to those people in that day that they have to endure in order to be saved or to be delivered from the trials that they're going through. In Jude chapter 1 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we read about how God promises to preserve his people. And if you know Christ as your savior, no man can pluck you out of his hand. You are safe, you're secure. Amen. And God can keep you until he calls you home. But may I draw your attention out of verse 24? In verse 24, we see the third, the third commandment here. And it's this, in light of Christ's return, push others to love and serve God. In light of Christ's return, let us push others to love and serve God. Look at verse 24. It says, and let us consider. Let's pause right here. You know what this means? It means to keep others in mind. Have you ever read the, the book of Romans? Many of the reformers and some of the, the great key preachers of yesterday and some of the prominent pastors of our day, they assert that their favorite book of the Bible is Romans. And in Romans chapter 14, we read about the great liberty as a Christian, how we have the freedom to do things. But in the midst of our freedom, we need to keep in mind the the other believer, the other brother and sister who's not yet as mature in their walk with Christ. And so today, as we see, I believe the writer here has Romans 14 in his mind, that when it says, let us consider, he's saying, let us keep in mind those who have not progressed in their walk with Christ as far as me or you. And he says, let us consider one another, and then to provoke. Now, normally when you read the word provoke, it is in the bad, it's in a horrible context. But in this verse, all it is simply meaning is pushing others to do something. And what is he pushing? What is he wanting us to do? He's wanting us to love and to do good works. If there's ever a time in history that the church of God should shine the light of love and the light of good deeds, it is right now because we are living in some dark days, and it's time that we push each other to love each other, push each other to serve God, push each other to to grow deeper in our walk with Jesus Christ. But I'm afraid. I'm afraid the modern church does not want to do that. I'm afraid the modern church spends more time hating each other instead of building each other up. I'm afraid the modern church spends more time serving self and pleasure instead of serving God. And others today, my friends, let us love and serve God. But now, check out verse 25, the first part. Christ is coming again. Jesus is coming soon. And in light of his coming, the fourth thought I want to share with you is this from verse 25, the first part Never abandon the church of God. Never abandon the church of God. So in light of Christ's return, let us never abandon the church of God. Now this word forsake, it's a word that means to leave behind, to go away and never return, to abandon, to forsake. That's all it means. And here we see that, that what is it, what is it saying not to abandon, not to, not to just leave behind and never return? Well, it says here, the, the gathering of ourselves together. Now we understand the word church in the New Testament comes from a word that means a called out assembly. And that means a group of people that have come together to to do one thing, and that is to worship God around his word. And we see here, that is the event that the writer of Hebrews is taking place and taking note of that we are not to forsake and abandon. Of course, in this year, we've had a lot of debates about this verse, but our church, we've majored on being gracious. We have In-person service for the longest time up until the last Sunday in November, we had an outside service at 830. We have the online service on Facebook right now. We have the the sermons that are taken and the audio forms are are put on websites and and, and Spotify and and, and Apple Podcasts. There's so many different ways to gather together and worship God. And the reason why we have the live stream and the online stuff is for outreach purposes. That's why we did it years ago. And today, here's the thought, that if we are not taking advantage of any of those things and we are using this year as an excuse of not to gather together in any of the ways that we have available, then it's time that we recheck our relationship and walk with God. Here it says, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, but then check it out now, as the manner of some is. This gives us, this, as the manner of some is, it gives us idea of a habit have you ever had a bad habit that you want to break? Maybe it's biting your fingernails. Probably not the best. Maybe it's twirling your thumbs when you get bored. Have you ever had a good habit? I hope you're in a habit of brushing your teeth every morning and evening. I hope you're in a habit of taking a shower and putting deodorant and maybe, or maybe for you ladies, perfumer, you guys, cologne, putting on something that'll make you smell a little bit better. I hope you're in making habits of those things. And here the Bible says that the one thing we're not to make a habit of is abandoning the church. May I say this? I need you, and you need me. We need each other more now than ever to love each other, to serve God with each other, to push each other in our walk, to help encourage us to keep going forward in these hard days, and to inspire each other to draw closer to Christ. But then the last part of the verse says, why? Why would we do all these things? Why? Why? Well, the writer gives us the answer. He says, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So check it out now. The fifth and final thought is this. In light of Christ's return, let us exhort the people of God. Exhort the people of God. This word exhort, it has a trifold meaning. So the ministry of exhortation is threefold. Number one, it is prayer. That is, we are called to pray for one another. In fact, I'm just crazy enough to believe that if somebody pops up into your mind, God placed that person on your mind so you could lift up that individual in prayer or maybe send them a message or send them a card or send them a a text or call them and encourage them. We need to pray for each other. Then the second purpose of the ministry of exhortation is cautioning and warning. That is, when we see a brother, when we see a sister, maybe going down a path that. That maybe it's not God's will. In loving, in a loving, compassionate manner and gracious manner, we are to wrap our arms around them and caution them that if you keep walking this direction, you'll live outside of God's will. But then the third aspect of, of the ministry of exhortation is this. Comfort. Comfort. Comforting one another. Consolation. As the songwriter said, the blessed consolation he leadeth me. And here we see that we need to be praying for each other, comforting each other, and pushing each other to do our utmost best as a child of God. You know, several years ago when I was driving back and forth to Tennessee for Bible college, I I remember seeing a sign on a billboard. And it said, it was even here in Roanoke. It said, May 21st, 2011 judgment day you remember seeing that sign how many of you saw that sign you remember that in fact Harold Camping was the guy who declared this boldly boldly I'm talking boldly declared it on his radio program not only did he proclaim that date was the date of the the judgment of God coming to the world but he also said that was the date that the rapture was going to take place so either one of two things about about his assertion number one well, he's right, and we've all missed the rapture and God's judgment. Or number two, he was respectfully wrong. And I'm going with number two. Amen. In fact, whenever we try to set a date about Christ's return on the rapture, we make great error. But understand this. The point of this passage is Jesus is coming again. It says, and so much the more because we see the day approaching. Hey, listen, the worst is yet to come. It really is. I've read the Bible. I've read the entirety of Revelation. And we know that the greatest period of tribulation is going to come in that seven years in the future. We understand that. We believe that. And I want you to understand this, that we are called because of Christ's return. And it's so urgent that we exhort each other, that we do not abandon our church, that we push each other to love and serve God, that we do not waver in our faith, and that we draw closer to Jesus Christ. The songwriter said, Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedom will hold dear, and now is at stake. Humbling your heart to God, saves from the chastening rod. Seek the, the way pilgrims trod. Christians awake, and the chorus says again, Jesus is coming soon, morning or night or noon. Many will meet their doom, trumpets will sound. All the dead shall rise, righteousness meet in the skies, going where no one dies. Heaven word bound. My friends, Jesus is coming soon. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at, Pastor Brian Ratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you, and have a great week.